looking at the conversion between any social media and somebody sitting down for an hour to listen to a podcast, the conversion is so small. I probably should buy a lottery ticket two, because I'd win twice in the same day sooner than I would get a critical mass of people actually clicking on something in a tweet, which is a short burst social media thing and going, well, I really like the art of charm. I'm going to subscribe and buy all their products. I mean, that almost never happens. Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors, where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, Brace for Impact. Today, we are visiting with my friend Jordan Harbinger, the co-founder of The Art of Charm and host of The Art of Charm podcast, one of the most popular podcasts in the world with over 1.3 million downloads every month. The Art of Charm has been covered by Forbes, NPR, The Today Show, Esquire Magazine, Saturday Night Live and MSNBC. A former Wall Street attorney, Jordan has spent several years abroad in Europe and the developing world, including South America, Eastern Europe, and the Middle East. And he speaks five languages. He also has worked with various governments and NGOs overseas, traveled through war zones, and been kidnapped twice. He'll tell you the only reason he's still alive and kicking is because of his ability to talk his way into and out of just about any type of situation. On today's show, we're going to talk about the impact that Jordan intends to have through the Art of Charm, both the organization and the podcast, as well as entrepreneurship, networking, social engineering, whatever that is, and relationships. Bust out your pen and paper, take a lot of notes. This is going to be a fast and furious and fun episode. And without further ado, here's Jordan, Brace for Impact. Before we get into the into the nitty-gritty, uh, I always I I love the superpower question because it, it's fun. It gives us a lot of insight into a person's outlook. Plus, there's a bunch of cool superhero-themed movies coming up. So, Jordan, if you could pick any superpower. What would it be and how would you use it? Okay, so there's a couple of things I came up with, right? But the, I have to go with the nerdiest, most practical one, which is probably going to be slightly disappointing. But the the superpower I came up with was freeze time. And I know people are like, oh, cool, because then like when you're about to embarrass yourself, you could just be like, nope, and go home. Or you could, but I'm thinking this has so many applications from the beginning of early life all the way up until you're old, right? So check it out. Totally. So when you're a kid, you know, you're like, screw this. I'm so tired. I don't want to go to school. No problem. Freeze time. Sleep in as long as you want. <laughs> oh, the weekend was too long because I had all this homework or too short because I had all this homework. No problem. Freeze time. Get all your homework done. Not a big deal. Got the whole weekend to look forward to. Hang out with your friends. So then you get older, right? And you're like, hey, I, you know, I suck at athletics or I'm starting to, you know, trip a little bit or I can't get this work done or I need more time on this exam. Uh, freeze time handle your business. And then, you know, you, you decide like, oh man, I'm not getting enough stuff done. No problem. Freeze time, go to sleep, wake up fully rested, 
go, you know, keep out working everybody, keep hustling, keep doing what you need to do, conduct business like usual because you slept in that time that didn't exist. Right. And then you're getting older and your kids are grown up and you're like, oh man, you know, now I'm retired because I got so much stuff done. You might even be like 35 at that point because you've never had to really sleep and you've probably pretty successful because you found other ways to leverage your time freezing. Well, no big deal, man. You're not even aging, right? You got time frozen. You never sleep. You just sleep during the time frozen stuff. Bored. Everybody's gone for the weekend. Got nothing else to do. Got to cut the lawn. There's a million things you can do. No, just freeze time and get it done then. You're, you're good. That is, that is probably one of the most innovative answers I've had uh, in, the, in the interviews I've done uh, where I've asked that question. The, the other one that's kind of an opposite of that, that a couple people have have said that that's interesting, but it, but it wouldn't be my cup of tea. Is uh, is like is the ability to to not need to sleep. I, I thought about that. That was what I came up with originally, and then I was like, wait a minute, this is too. I'm thinking too small. Yeah. Then I came up with freeze time because it encompasses so many other things, including not needing to sleep. Well, or or yeah, either not needing to sleep or sleep. I mean, you could, if you could yeah. freeze time, you're or like, sleep. dude, I'm going to take a four hour nap. Cause I was like, Oh, do I not want to sleep or do what if I, cause the other thing is like, what if I never had to pee? Right. That would be great too, <laughs> but that's a really small one. So I was like, wait a minute, what encompasses both of these? And now I'm like, well, wait a minute. It doesn't really stop you from not having to go to the bathroom, but it stops you from not having to go to the bathroom. Cause imagine you're at a sporting event. You're like, Oh, the line is so long. Doesn't matter. Freeze time, find an empty cup, set it down somewhere unfreeze time you didn't even have to leave your seat you're welcome dude brilliant brilliant so you're gonna you're gonna work on some sort of super technology i've already got it i've already got it handled no problem nice nice so you've got a lot going on you've got this great podcast which i love you've got amazing uh guests that you have on and you and one of the other reasons i love your show is because you ask really good questions uh and then you've got the art of charm i get uh boot camp um and you've got the social capital campaign. You've got a lot of really cool things going on. What are you excited most about right now, other than being on the Impact Entrepreneur Show? Other than, oh man, now I got to think. Now I have to start from scratch. Um, you know, this sounds ridiculous, but I was just talking with somebody who works with Howard Stern or worked with Howard Stern, and they were like, "What's your plan?" You know, for Art of Charm, and I'm like. Look, I love the live training. It's amazing. It's really, really good. I love the products that we create. They're really, really good. We take a lot of pride in them. The thing that's the most fun for me is doing the show. And I realized from talking with guys like Larry King and talking, being on Sirius XM radio for a few years and like knowing what top performers in the industry are like, how their brains work, what they do to prayer, uh, to prepare, prepare. I don't know why I can't, yeah, <laughs> career over, can't even talk. Um, <laughs> to, to knowing those sort of top personalities and what they do, I'm like just starting to realize, again, I've been doing this for nine and a half years, just released episode 500 last week, et cetera. I literally, with deliberate practice, constantly learning, constantly working on this stuff, what I'm excited about is moving the show forward and getting better at the craft of talking to other people and creating the show. So feasibly, you know, my like quote unquote stretch goal is become one of the best interviewers in the world where it becomes a rite of passage to come on the show. And I'm not saying like, come on my podcast. I mean, whatever shows look like in 10, 15 years, you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, that person was on Larry King. I'm like, I can do that. I can do that. 
I can get that good. I mean, well, let's not use Larry King as an example of a good interviewer, but like guys like Howard Stern, I mean, people, whenever they do media, they have a press page. If they've yeah. got a Howard Stern appearance, that, sh- that is at the top, right? Totally. And I'm like, that's feasible, right? This is something that's very, very realistic for me. Not, not next year, but in, in the future. And I'm working towards that. And I know that with, when, when you look at guys who are really killing it and they're relying on talent and, pr- and time in the game and that's what got them there, I'm like, well, wait a minute. If that's what they're leaning on with deliberate practice and focusing on this skill set as intensely as I do on everything else, this is a very realistic goal for me. And that's very exciting. It's really cool. I'm stoked. That, that is cool. I mean, that's definitely something that um, that's going to get you up and put your feet on the ground in the morning and, and kind of excite your focus. And actually Cameron and I were talking about focus a, a lot um, today and about vivid vision and, and all of those great things that he talks about. And I shared with him yesterday, I had an interview with Amy Cosper of Entrepreneur Magazine. And we talked about uh, the, the number one differentiator between success, and I'm not going to tell you what it is actually on the show because oh, I don't want it. It's a little teaser in there for people that are going to uh, tune in for the next one. But but it is uh, focus is incredibly important uh, and and energizing and uh, and. But at the same time, I'm gonna. I added a question in here that I thought about before this interview, so I'm going to put you on the spot. But I'm you know, used to it it has it has to do with focus because. There's a ton of shiny objects and opportunities that we have out there. So how do you decide what opportunities to pursue and what opportunities to pass on? What kind of a filter do you use right now today? That is so funny you should ask me that. I literally got asked that on another show this morning. That's so funny. It's so <laughs> weird because it's like, I don't, is somebody talking about that in media or is there a book that just came out about that? Cause I, the odds of the, and somebody mentioned it to me yesterday. So that's three times in the last, not even 24 hours that people have asked I, me I that think question. That, I think that, I think the, what's going on is there's a, there's a tremendous amount of buzz going on around the word focus. Yes, uh, that's true. And I think that it's just kind of a, Another way to ask the question is, well, how the heck do you choose what to focus on? Yeah, no, that's, that's, it's great. I mean, I, I, my answer is not well rehearsed, but I did just give one this morning as well as yesterday informally in a conversation. So I'm ready. So essentially the way that I do it is uh, without getting into like full, full on story mode, but a couple several years ago when I decided to treat the show as not just like a cool hobby that also promoted my business, but like really got into it, uh, around episode 250. And again, we just did 500 last week. So congratulations, plug that in there. Um, you know, and is a time for, thank you is, is sort of a time indicator. Uh, and also to fish for a compliment from you, Mike, um, the, um, (laughs) The, the way that I started promoting the show initially was I'm going to do every podcast, right? I'm going to go and ask everybody and I'm going to say yes to everything and da, da, da. And what I found was after a while, I wasn't just getting sick of it. Like I, I'm not sick of being interviewed. I don't like being interviewed poorly. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I yeah, mean, totally. you, we've all had that and we've all seen that. We've all heard that. And so I thought, okay, what makes that happen in a way that I don't like? Okay, what characteristics do these shows have that make them that way? And I sort of focused, you know, filtered out or created a focus filter based on these things. So to nothing too revolutionary here, but like, oh, they haven't launched the show yet. They're super green. I'll pass for now. Oh, they haven't, they've only done... 
10 episodes, too green. I'll pass for now. Oh, they're, you know, they're asking a ton of different things out of me and they all look kind of like really like the same thing I've been asked a million times before. Like, what's your favorite X, Y, Z? Okay. I'm going to pass on that. Cause it means that they're not being very creative with it. There are, there are a few other things that are mostly my own personal pet peeves, but it doesn't matter. Right. Cause I, my goal for this was to filter in things that make me happy and things that move my business forward. Not necessarily in that order, but you know, we'll go with that for now. And I realized, okay, I need to start choosing opportunities the same way I choose things like tools, right? Why aren't you on Snapchat, Jordan? Okay, well, my goal for social media is to converse with friends. Snapchat, not really going to do that because Facebook already does and my friends aren't really using that. So that's out. All right, move my business forward. All right, well, my who's the primary demographic of Snapchat? Eh, it's not a great overlap for Art of Charm. Am I well-suited to that kind of content creation? Well, not really. Am I excited about that kind of content creation? Will it you know, overlap into the happiness arena? Well, not really. Okay, well, then I'm not going to use that. And there's no utility there. There, There's negative, you know, there's opportunity cost. There's negative utility there for me to do it in terms of it making me happy, moving the business forward, et cetera. And I realized, oh, I need to start treating everything as the way that I select tools. And and guys like Cal Newport, who are just friggin' genius when it comes to writing about this stuff, he wrote a book called Deep Work. And it's really, really good. People should read it. And, and, and I hate people who tell other people to read books, but I'm going to be that guy right now. You're and that guy. I'm that guy. What do you know? And, and uh, he, he gives the example of a farmer. And he talks about a hay baler. And it, this farmer's like, yeah, I sold my baler. I buy hay. And he's like, why? And the farmer gives all these reasons for why it's better for him based on his primary metrics and things like that to sell this baler and not have one and not do it himself. And I thought, oh my gosh, people who use things like social media, they're not making these calculations at all. They're just going, and again, Cal writes about this. It's not my concept. People go, oh, well, this tool is free and there's some utility to me doing it even if it's really small. So therefore I have to do it. Basically when they do this, they're counting their time value of is zero right? And they're mm, counting totally. their mood that this, you know, their happiness factor, the thing, the way that they're like, Ugh, I got to check friggin' Twitter again, be up on this or Snapchat again. They're counting that, that that's like a non-consideration because it's quote unquote work and it doesn't have to be fun and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not doing that. Just because Snapchat or something like that is free, just because every podcast will, will have me as a guest doesn't mean that they should. And so we run into this problem where a lot of the tools online, they're just things sold by companies that have a $0 price point. It doesn't mean they're useful. And we tend to sort of give social media a pass uh, or, or give like podcasts a pass or, or something like that. So I started thinking about everything through this frame. Like, should I say yes to this? Why? What, is it, what does it do for my business slash what does it do for me personally? If I can't yeah. think of a good reason, but I just feel like I have to do it because internet, that's a crap reason. And I say no. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And, you know, there, I, uh, I had an interview recently with a guy named Daniel Harkavy who runs a company called Building Champions and co-wrote a book with Michael Hyatt called cool. Living Forward. And, um, you know, Michael Hyatt is. I do. In our conversation, we were, we were talking ab about this in a different way. And he said, essentially, that you, you've got to have enough self-respect to say no to good things so that you could say yes to great things. Love it. And, 
at your level, I mean, you've got a lot of eyeballs watching you, right? And and uh, mostly and, earballs and, and, and ears listening. Yeah. Actually, yeah, ears listening. Earballs. Uh, if there's eyeballs watching, you, it's kind of creepy. Yeah. I do have videos, just not, I don't promote them. Like people stumble on them on YouTube and they're like, oh my God, this is cool. Why don't you do this really complicated thing that would require tons of work? And you know, you know the answer to that. <laughs> well, that, that therein lies your focus filter. Yes. But, but you know, you like your value proposition, if you start, say you do Snapchat and just because, you know, Gary V says you should do Snapchat and that's not aligned to not only your own goals, but also, you know, the audience that you're speaking to intuitively, they're going to sense that and they're going to start bailing, you know, cause they're That's not going point. to get that value. You, you know, and, and here's, I want to address something cause there's people thinking it right now. I'm sure in your audience here, it, it, people are like, well, okay, well, you know, it does move your business forward. And I'm thinking, okay, what if my new goal, what if my like top, top goal isn't just move the business forward, but is become one of the best interviewers in the world with one of the best shows in the world, which we just talked about. Right. So totally. social media doesn't really directly get me there. And there's people going, but wait, you know, people will find out about you through that social media channel. Let's pick on Snapchat more because why not? And then they will share with their friends and that will increase the listenership of your show, which will get you more attention, which will up the, your game and get you better guests and make you a better interviewer and dot, 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 biggest show in the world. And there it is. And I'm like, yes, you're totally right. I acknowledge that's possible, but is it worth my time to focus on that? Right? Because the exam again, going back to Cal's book, which I've just read, as you can tell, and and again, just sort of to analogize with something he wrote in there, he writes about Twitter and how like Malcolm Gladwell doesn't use it. You know, who Malcolm Gladwell is oh yeah, totally. it, yeah. So him and a, a billion other authors, they don't use it, and the reason is, uh, or at least the calculation in the book, they, they don't give this reason, but Cal does it. It's if you tweet at twenty new people a day, and you get 10 of them as new fans of you forever or whatever that end up buying your new book. You would have to do that for like, if the calculation of the book is something like two straight years in order to get them to buy half as many books as you would need them to buy to make your book even hit the bestseller list. Well, and, and you'd have to do it. They'd have to all buy it the same week. Right? So is tweeting at 20 new people and befriending those people every single day better than just writing a better freaking book? Hell yeah. no. Hell no. Or, or putting in more work to creating one real relationship that leads to a feature in XYZ magazine that sells thousands of books. It's not even close. So right. why on earth would somebody who's a creator, which I guess technically is what I am as a show host, why would I ever invest in more of the channels that have low ROI like that? It's well, ludicrous. I, yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, I was just going to say that, um, like, you know, people think like they lead with social media. It's such a big thing right now. And there is a, there, there is a, uh, I think social media in, in, in one way has hit sort of critical mass and they're trying to reinvent themselves right now. But, um, how, I mean, I think that you just nailed it because what you're doing is you're creating quality content in the form of your interviews and, and conversations that you have on the art of charm podcast. You're uploading that to iTunes and people are listening to it and you're asking people to comment and rate and review it. And that puts you up in the, in the, uh, you know, the awareness of those categories and the top charts and whatnot, and then social media. 
So I like that's how I found you. Uh, that's how I started listening to your show. The was, iTunes uh, rankings, the top business or something. Yeah, I, I went to yeah, I went to iTunes and I'm like, oh, what are the what are the you know the newest top uh, you know business podcasts and and the Art of Charm I think was like number one. Uh, and plus it had a cool name. I'm like, oh, what the hell is the Art of Charm? That's that seems really cool. Slash, you know? you're like, uh, let me laugh at this pos. Wait, I actually like it. <laughs> and we get that uh, a lot actually. Yeah, no, it it, it was uh, so. Then I started, you know, after that, tracking on uh, Facebook and and Twitter, but not before. Right. Yes, exactly. Look, I'm sure that people get discovered in social media, but those are social media people that are selling social media something, something like Vine stars, right? So, yeah, it makes sense for them to invest in that. YouTubers, oh, yeah, be all over it because it's a quick hit. Do you realize how poor, I don't even, the answer is no, but nobody realizes, even people who test these things, except for a few small handful of people, test, looking at the conversion between any social media and somebody sitting down for an hour to listen to a podcast, the conversion is so small, I probably should buy a lottery ticket Two, because I'd win twice in the same day sooner than I would get a critical mass of people actually clicking on something in a tweet, which is a short burst social media thing and going, well, I really like the art of charm. I'm going to subscribe and buy all their products. I mean, that almost never happens. Yeah, very, very rarely. And to the point where it is not worth focusing on that. It would be I in fact, if I were really um focused on this metric entirely and only numbers focused, I would get off social media entirely, except for maybe like one thing like Facebook because my friends and family are there. But if we can remove the friends and family element, I'm probably better off never using social media ever again my entire life. <laughs> no, I, I, it's it's way better to go deep than wide when it, yes. when it comes to building these kinds of relationships. Yes. And- and um, speaking about relationships, you know, backing up the train a little bit, hitting the brake, and and getting back to uh, to the some of the questions that I sent you before. But you know, mentorship is something that's important to me. You've talked about mentorship a lot on your show and, and in some of the stuff that you've written, and it it appears at least indirectly that mentorship, in a loose sense, is is somewhat responsible for for the art of charm and for the podcast and for the uh, the boot camp. So how how did working at a law firm inspire you yeah. to launch this venture? Well, bad mentorship is what maybe you meant <laughs> to say is responsible in part for this. So when I was working on Wall Street a long, long time ago, I was doing this thing called the uh, summer associate I- internship or whatever. And what that is, is basically this law firm hires you to wine and dine you and impress you so that you work there. And then they, then they turn the screws. And so I was working at this law firm and I had gotten hired by this guy named Dave and Dave was like really popular. Everyone loved him. And he was this cool guy and he made lots of money and he was one of the top partners at this firm. And everybody was kind of jealous that he got assigned to me as my quote unquote mentor, because everyone back then is envisioning rooftop cocktails with Matthew McConaughey, you know, like Wolf of Wall Street. 
where they're hanging oh, yeah. out, having a blast and just balling out of control. And Dave was never in the office. And so one day HR was like, how's everyone's intern, you know, mentorship programs going? And everybody was like, oh, it's so cool. We go to Morton's every week and then we go see Blue Man Group or another Broadway show every Thursday. <laughs> and I'm like, F you, dude. I haven't even seen this guy since I got hired. So they made him take me out for coffee, which, you know, pro tip, don't have HR force your boss to take you out for coffee. It's not a good career move generally, but Dave brought me to Starbucks. He's hammering away on his Blackberry. He goes, ask me anything, fully expecting me to be like, so when we're doing the CDOs on these mortgage-backed securities, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, how come everyone says you make more money and you're never in the office? And he's like, what? Like needle off the record. <laughs> and, you know, at this point I'm thinking, I'm going to get fired at Starbucks in front of all these people. Um, and he's like, look, you know, I bring in all the business. I bring in the, the high lucrative de the deals. I got lots of great relationships outside this firm. And that makes me more valuable. So I'm more valuable outside the firm than I am inside the firm. So billing hours is not where the money is made for the firm. And I don't worry about my billable hourly bonus because I get bigger bonuses for bringing in deals. So I focus on those. And I was just like, my mind like exploded, right? Because I'm looking at all these people who are smarter than me on Wall Street it's very hard to make yourself smarter. You can study a lot. You can read up on the industry a lot. You can learn a lot about the ins and outs of deals, but usually you get that through working on the job. Right. Natural smarts, natural, holy crap, these people are geniuses. That wasn't going to be me. And the other angle, the other sort of competitive advantage some people had who weren't super brilliant were they were sleeping under their desk. They left their family in India or Bulgaria or Russia to do this job. <laughs> I was never going to be that hungry. I got a great work ethic. I'm never going to be that hungry because I'm just, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not, it's, it's unrealistic. You enjoy life. I don't have the circumstances. I wanted to enjoy life. I didn't even have, you know, wife and kids. I, so I had nobody to miss. I had tons of friends. I wasn't going to be that hungry. So when I met Dave and I found out about the fact that he was networking and creating relationships, I saw a competitive advantage that I could develop that was not on my radar before. And mm -hmm. that is what I focused on. So he was a terrible mentor, but the one thing he taught me was, look, you can learn to do this. He didn't even teach me how to learn to do. No, this is a val this is a possible path to succeeding in the legal game. That was what I learned from him. So I focused for the, well, for the last decade on learning, you know, everything from relationships and pop psychology to, to uh, performance psychology and how the brain works. Cause obviously I don't work at a law firm anymore and I haven't for a long time since 2007. But what I did learn was, oh my God, it is all about who you know, but that's actually an advantage you can cultivate, not something to whine about to your girlfriend or your mom. Yeah, I think that's uh, a really valuable bit of information because a lot of people think, "Oh my gosh, it's about it's about the network that you came into, and and it's impossible to go out and develop, you know, centers of influence and 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 network with people." I think, and it, it, and it's some in some cases, it's it's really fear driven. They're they're not they don't believe that they have the capacity to do that. And, uh, and I mean, really there's no risk in asking. I mean, the worst thing that could possibly happen is they say no. Well, yeah. I, I mean, what I've learned throughout the last nine and a half years of teaching live events and doing the show is if you have intentional application of the skills, especially the stuff we teach about networking on the art of charm, you can build a better and more robust network than somebody who was quote unquote born into it. And the reason is because people who are born into it 
either their parents, usually their parents or their grandparents, are doing exactly what we're teaching you on the show and at The Art of Charm anyway. They just cultivated it earlier. So yeah, you're born into it. You have an advantage. But people who are born into it, they usually don't value it. They don't have the skills to necessarily maintain it. So it's a rarity to find somebody who was born into it and then used it to take off. Those people become presidents of, of those people become presidents of something, right? If yeah. not the whole country. So people who just cultivate it, even if they start in their 30s and 40s, they're totally fine. They leverage the crap out of these relationships. Well, it's because they're, you, you mentioned another word that's getting a lot of buzz right now in addition to focus, and that's in being intentional. Yes. And I don't uh, mean that in like, be intentional, namaste, everybody. That's not what I mean, right? That, I, I want that to be clear. I'm talking about focused or maybe what you'd call deliberate practice. Right. Yeah, you know, that, that's that's exactly right. And and you you may have not been hungry with the law firm and what and what they were, you know, what you thought you were going to be doing. For the rest of your life, and thankfully aren't at yeah, this point. No kidding. But once you found this, once the light went off on your in your head on this, this is something that you pursued full force. And you didn't necessarily have the skill set, but you had the passion. There was the opportunity, and then you went at and and went after it and got the skill set. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, anybody can go back into the art of charm and go to episode, you know, the single digit first one. I'm a freaking awful talk show. I, this is uh, nobody who, anybody who's listened to that. I'm shocked when people are like, I've been listening since the beginning. I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. You're like a liar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, have you really? I, I just, cause I, I would never listen to something like we created in the first, maybe 50 episodes of the show. It was awful. And, and the content was there, but we were knuckleheads. We didn't know what we were doing. The recording, the audio quality was terrible. Up, you know. 250 and up, man. That like, <laughs> just that's, Yes, tattoo that on your hand, 250 and up. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www. LawtonMG.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. You've you've talked a lot about how much your family uh, values hard work, and I'm I'm assuming when you when you got that job on Wall Street that they were pretty pumped, you know, promising career and all. But when you told them you were leaving or you weren't going to continue the pursuing the the Wall Street uh, attorney path, were they like, dude, you're you're crazy, you're out of your mind? Yeah, they weren't really like, oh my gosh, life is over. They knew that the economy was in the crapper, and it's not like I talked to my parents once every blue moon, right? So they were kind of like, oh. What's what's going? In fact, thanks for reminding me. I'm going to write call parents. That's going on my calendar right now for tomorrow. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> this is how I manage my life. Calendar, it doesn't happen. But fifteen minute phone call. Fifteen minute phone call. Boom. But the, the the they were they were like, okay, you're not doing anything. You're not being fulfilled. Maybe you should find another job. And then at the same time, all I was talking about was. Art of Charm this, Art of Charm that, business this, business that, this is working, this is working. So it wasn't like, 
hey, this job thing's not working out for me. I don't like it because it's not fun, even though the even though, you know, the economy is great and every the paycheck is. great. So I think I'm going to be an actor. It wasn't like that. Right. That yeah, would be yeah. where your family goes. No, you're an idiot. But <laughs> it was like the job was on the downswing. I had to get a new one at some point. Business was on the upswing and I was clearly into it there. My dad said, look, you're never going to be able to try anything more so than you are now. You're never going to have as much freedom as you are now. Like, look, you got loans, but you have savings, you know, you try Dude, it. If it doesn't I work. I love that, man. Like that's, that's amazing. I mean, to hear how high fived your mom and dad, right. I mean, like super supportive. I mean, they, they, they listen to you. Uh, they hear what you're saying that you're not fulfilled and that you have this kind of this fire that's, uh, started in your, in your heart and mind. And you want to go out here and, and take this risk. And I, I tell people all the time too, uh, that, you know, right now when you're, you know, in your twenties, this is the time to take all of the risks that you possibly can. Uh, yes. and, and, and having a supportive family kind of, or a community, if you don't have a family, like having a supportive network of people that believe in you, not necessarily, they don't even have to believe in what you're doing, but believe in Jordan. Uh, that's huge. It is. And don't get me wrong. I, I have my hunches that my family was secretly like, let's hope this freaking stupid phase is over quickly with minimal damage. Right. And then he'll go and get a real job. And they're probably like, yeah, he's got all the time in the world to get a job. He's got a good education. No big deal. Like I secretly think they were thinking that, right. I actually heard that they were writing A and E to see if they could kind of get in on the intervention action. Yeah. I I guarantee you they had ideas about that, but by the time the, and and then when the recession hit and nobody was getting jobs, they were like, well, he's surviving. So whatever, he's not asking (laughs) us for money. So it was like, all right, whatever. And then when art of charm hit some downturns a million years ago, they were like, well, you can always get a real job. And I was like, oh my God, how dare you? And then I just fought through it with my business partners. And here we are now. My mom's like, you should have heard the mileage your dad got out of the, your story on the cruise we were just on. And it's just like, cool. All right. They're proud of me now. They probably were before. They were probably more worried before. That's for damn sure. But, you know, I don't think that they were like, we're going to stand by you no matter what you do, son. They were probably really thinking, give it a shot. You might as well, whether or not it works or not, you know, you can just get a job later. I'm a pretty stubborn person. And and one, one time when I was in, I was living down in San Luis Obispo trying to uh, get into Cal Poly and I, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get a job because it's like every, every, every college student in California is trying to get a job in, in uh, San Luis Obispo. And, uh, I was living with a bunch of friends and I ran out of money and I couldn't pay my rent. And my dad came down, uh, and he said, you know, son, I think it's time for you to, to move home and, and, uh, you know, start over. And I swore, I'm like, dad, I'm going to live in my truck before I do that. And then he's like, how about I take you out to lunch? And then you move home. I said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. You know, you mentioned that, uh, you had some obstacles, some downturns in the AOC. What were some of the biggest obstacles that you faced getting the company off the ground and how have you evolved, uh, and remained true to your vision over the years? Cause I, like you mentioned, you were on Sirius and you've got, you've had all of these opportunities. How have you remained true to the original kind of intent of the, 
of the organization? I mean, I don't know that we have. I mean, we've been constantly evolving in what we teach and what we do and everything like that. I mean, the intent is in like being helpful to other people and not just being scammy internet marketers or something like that instead, which is, you know, obviously in the beginning would have been a lot easier than what we're doing now. Yeah. I mean, we always knew that we couldn't sleep well at night creating a crappy business and it had to be something that would have longevity and scammy quick win businesses like selling crummy products online that people can't get refunds for. That's not a longevity business. So we wanted something that was, we kind of go with the phrase legacy is greater than currency. I don't know where that's from. I'm pretty sure we didn't make it up, but that's kind of <laughs> how we guide things around here. So we're playing long game. And so a lot of our decisions have been made in that way. And the, even when we were making jack squat money and, you know, people were like, you should do this affiliate marketing thing or whatever, you know, we would just be like, nope, we got stuff we're doing. And a lot of times looking back, I'm like, oh, I wish I'd known this and that and the other thing. But it's turned out really well for us. And now some of those same people who've been around as long or longer than us that tried all those quick wins, they're still frigging farting around you know, spinning their wheels and looking for the latest cash machine injection, three days only. And I'm like, wow, you're still doing that? And it's kind of pathetic at this point, you know? It, it's been done, it's been overdone, and it is done. Uh, but, you know, it ultimately it comes down to focus, I guess. I mean, like, it comes back to focus. I it mean, does. You, you just, it does. You just, everything comes back to focus. I mean, like, that's that's crazy. I mean, what what I've been talking to people about the past couple of days and, and Bill Gates talks about it all the time about that's like the one word that, that, uh, you know, if he had to su summarize all of his success down to one word, it would be focus. Um, but what, what are you definitely faced some obstacles, uh, and, and how did you overcome those? Well, I mean, we've had a lot of obstacles and, and frankly, I, I don't know if I have like the definitive guide to overcoming business obstacles, a lot of what we have that's worked well for us is delusional confidence in the product. Yes. And and I don't mean like, we're right and everybody else is an idiot. I mean, this is going to work. Even if we have to change it a thousand times, we're probably not going to go out of business because this is so good that we have the, we have the idea. We have the technology, right? It's going to work. It's going to work. We're smart. We can figure this out. That kind of confidence. Totally. I mean, that that is... I mean, that is gold you know i maybe it's courage maybe it started out as courage uh and then and then morphed into confidence uh, because you you mean there's a lot of really successful companies that are successful be precisely because they didn't know how much risks they were taking that's totally uh, uh, yeah i i'm that i'm i'm on board with that that's we are that like oh this is going to be fine how hard can it be Seven, nine and a half years, pardon me, of nightmares later, I'm like, oh, see, we got it. And yeah, totally, yeah. Had I had an inkling of how difficult it was going to be, I never would have started. <laughs> I interviewed this guy named Dan Waldschmidt. Oh, I know him. And uh, I, one, of, one of his famous quotes is that, yeah, you might be an overnight success, but it might take you nine months to get there. Yeah, or nine years. Or nine years in your case, you know? And it, it, it's... You know, people only see the sound bites on Facebook or the sound bites on Instagram with the rich kids of Instagram and and all of these happy faces. They don't see the uh, sleepless nights, the um, the twenty hour work days, the you know the the 
you popping Tums because you're freaking stressed oh, out. Oh, man. I call them the post office days on the show um, because I want, I woke up many mornings for years being like, screw this. I'm going to get a job at the post office. Look at those people. They're done by done so early. They're just throwing stuff around. They don't have a care in the world. Their job sucks, but this sucks worse. Totally. I mean, you know, having a, having a pension is for some people is just yeah. gold. You know? Yeah. I, I would literally, there were plenty of days where I thought that, or I'd be driving home from like a terrible meeting or walking home. Cause I didn't have a car and I'd see some guy eating lunch, taking a break from like laying power lines or jackhammering the road. And I'm like, I should just do that. I bet I could get a job doing that. Look at how he's just relaxing right now. He would done it for. Yeah, he was probably early. sipping on a on a cocktail while he's doing his job, you know? I mean, I, I remember thinking that. And then I remember talking to other friends of mine, and they're like, are you kidding me? I'm hustling and doing this so that I don't have to do that. And I'm like, really? doesn't look so bad right now. Because I was just, like, hating life at some of these points, you know? And um, venting, talking with people about it, knowing that I wasn't alone, all these other cliches, those things really helped. But I kind of also fell back on that delusional confidence in the product knowing, look, this is really good. We just don't have the formula made up yet. Totally. I mean, you know, adversity, so, you know, when you're, when you're working your way through adversity, which we all face all the time at different phases uh, throughout our life and entrepreneurial journeys, the, the key is just to keep moving. If you have a clear vision, which you guys did and do, and a strong delusional belief in your product, uh, you know, just keeping moving and going in the going forward, even if you don't recognize make, that you're making mistakes along the way, is the most important thing. It's it's okay to, to make mistakes and to stumble, so long as you keep moving forward in the right direction. And some people think that you know AOC is all about dating, and there's certainly elements to that. But you are doing a lot more than just hacking the the dating subculture. I've I've learned that through listening to your show now for, you know, the last few months and, and hacking relationships in general. And one of the things that you talk about, uh, on the show, you've talked about it a couple of times is the power of social dynamics. And can you unpack that a little bit more? Like what are social dynamics? Is it like, you know, I, I think there, if, if I were to break it down into kind of four categories, there's like emotional intelligence, there's courage and confidence, there's influence, and then there's authenticity and specifically authenticity. Like I think dudes have a really hard time being real, being yeah. authentic. I mean, I think you broke it down better than I ever could. I should like, I should probably take notes. Um, authenticity is a big one for guys because it has shades of vulnerability, which guys hate, right? Because it goes against a lot of our evolutionary psychology and it's not something that's valued that much in business, generally speaking. So authenticity is tough. And then people who, who are trying to lean into authenticity. Also, we have this weird, we have this bad stereotype of it because there's two, there's kind of two camps for authenticity that are popular right now. And one is like the, just be authentic. Namaste, right? That kind of yeah, thing. Totally. And then there's the other camp, which is like, F you, I'm authentic. Nobody can tell me what to do. I don't give a crap. F you again, <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. And it's like, both of those are so unappealing to normal human males and females for that matter as well. That were like, uh, yeah, authenticity buzzword. No, thanks. Bye. And I don't blame people for that. Mm -hmm. So, 
authenticity is hard because it requires knowing who we are before we can be like, I'm authentic because people who are authentic don't talk about it all the freaking time. And so teaching that skill is not a skill of put down your defenses and be unapologetically you. That's not how it works. It works more along the lines of develop the hell out of yourself so that you know what you want and what you don't want. And that has everything to do with dating as much as it does with how you schedule your time and who you spend time with, your business, what you do to educate yourself or not, you know, it it has everything to do with that. So it's a longer process and it can't be boiled down to doing a few things every day or having a gratitude practice or something really simplistic. It just doesn't work like that. Right. And so I I get why people find that to be tough and unappealing and vague because it is. And people do that on purpose so they can sell you things or because they don't understand it or both. That that totally makes sense. And it is a, a real challenge to be, especially for guys to be authentic as we've been talking about in our life growing up, you know, every step of the way, we're constantly getting feedback from other people and it influences our outlook on life and what our, what we believe that our capacity of what we can accomplish is. I'm with you. Okay. So does that, how does that play into what you guys teach at AOC? We're talking now about kind of like resilience or emotional resilience and protecting your mind and also seeking out examples of people that have achieved in real life what you want, not just some marketer who says they have. And so we try to poke through that at Art of Charm. Like when I have people on the show, I ask some tough questions and I do that on purpose because there are so many people out there that are like, I I work from the beach, look at my PayPal account or whatever. And I'm like, man, eh, this is farcical. You're doing this to tell people to give you money so that you can actually live, right? You yeah, prob- totally. You can't I even afford your- It's awful, but it's the internet does that in so many ways. And there's a lot of people out there that are doing that with a veneer of legitimacy laid over it. So they might even have a legitimate business in some ways, and they're still selling the dream. And even people who have nothing to do with teaching other people anything are still doing it because the marketing is working on them too, right? Mm-hmm. So I've I've been hang- I hung out with a bunch of entrepreneurs in an event recently. And the conversation got super weird after a while because it devolved into like this. There were two conversations that I thought were really bizarre. One was about how not busy everyone was. And I was like, well, screw you guys. I'm super busy. And it was kind of, people were like, oh, well, oh, I mean, you know, I do that too. And, and then it was like, after the conversation, people were like, how are they not busy? And I'm like, they're friggin' busy. They're lying because free time is sort of this like currency of the new rich. So they're all busy talking about how they have tons of free time. I don't believe it for a second. I think they're just bragging about how empty their schedule is by design. These people are busy. Of course they are. It's just like, instead of saying, look at my watch, I'm rich. They're saying I'm not busy and entrepreneurs do that. And then there was another conversation that was very similar, only it was about money. And it, uh, these guys weren't like, I'm so rich. They were just like, yeah, I fly first class everywhere just cause oh, it's just not worth the hassle. You know, I like to stretch out and, you know, sacrificing sleep isn't worth it to me. I fly first class everywhere. And I was like, Okay, so translation, you're so rich that the value of the dollar is so low that you fly first class everywhere, but you can't say that because you look like a douchebag, so you talk about how you value <laughs> sleep. Whatever, you know? Yeah, that, yeah. No, I mean, like, I guess it comes down to, like, at, you have trained yourself, and maybe, maybe this is something that c- came to you naturally. Maybe you didn't need to train, but you have the ability to filter th- through the BS and and find out 
what's important to you because you are extremely self-aware. And, and that's something that I would imagine is a critical com- uh, component of what you guys teach at yes, AOC. It is. This is the skill set that we teach. And this is why I realized after that conversation, I was talking with somebody else and they were kind of like generally uncomfortable with it. They didn't go, oh, it's so weird. They're not that busy and I'm really busy and I feel guilty about it. And da, da, da. It was like, oh man, I'm tired. And I was like, that conversation was exhausting. And the other person said, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Why? I guess we're just jet lagged. And I was like, no, we're not jet lagged. Here's the subcommunication. And they were like, oh my God, that's why I suddenly feel guilty. And I'm like, yeah, you feel guilty for working too much. But if we peeked into everyone's calendar and schedule, we're all doing the same thing. We're just trying to show off for each other. That's exhausting. And it was like, oh, my God, you're right. So the next time that I was with that group of people, the way that you solve that or you try to is you become vulnerable first. You talk about your own shortcomings. Hopefully people drop the BS and you have a better conversation next time. Because when you're trying to impress other people or show off, it can be really obvious or it can be not so obvious, but the emotional effect that it has on you is the same. It's all a facade. It's and, facade. and it it's precisely why going back to social media, why social media is so exhausting. Because yeah. it's, it's, you're, you're it's, comparing your highlight, you're comparing your blooper reel with someone else's highlight reel. I can't remember yeah. who said that, but it's genius. Yeah. It's totally genius. And it's so annoying. Oh man, especially Snapchat. That that crap. Like I, the only reason I have Snapchat on my phone is so my kids. I have four kids, so that we can use that uh, mask feature because they they think that that's hilarious. That's that's oh, about. that's what that is. I've seen that. <laughs> you know, it, it's um, it's true, and and it's it's very tough. Social media makes people feel like crap. That's another reason why it's no good. And so I try to remember that, but I'm not immune to it either. I'll be on there, and I'm like, you know, my fr- some of my friends are really successful, and I'm like dude, you have a jacuzzi on your roof in Manhattan? Damn, I'm a loser. And then I'm like, wait, reality check. I, yeah. This is ridiculous relative comparison. And also, I just talked to you yesterday. You worked like an 18-hour day writing. and cr- What am I doing to myself, right? I'm looking at this little snippet. And the only reason I'm able to snap myself out of it is because I know that same guy works his ass off all the time and he deserves what he bought and he prioritizes stuff like that. Right. And he's been doing it for two days. Like it's just, there's a lot to look at, but when you're looking at a picture of your buddy at sunset on his private jacuzzi in a roof of Manhattan, you're just like, I'm a loser. Right. That's yeah. the, and it's not even his, in, his intended effect. I mean, he's just posting something. It's all subconscious for all of us. And it depends how we interpret those things is completely on us. But I'm just like, Oh, I got to, I got to be conscious of that because it's bad for you. The idea is it seeps in behind your conscious defenses. So you just start feeling bad and you're like, I don't know why, but I'm tired. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally a, a useless exercise. And it, it's something that the media and, and we've, you know, we've grown up with this, uh, this pressure, whether we are aware of it or not to get the, get the best next thing, even if it meant charging it on your credit card and assuming a ton of, of debt and buying the biggest house, even though you couldn't afford it and getting the flashiest car, you know, and, and doing that, I have no desire for that because it, it puts way too much stress on my life. I don't, I don't, I don't need that. You know, yeah. I live in beautiful Santa Cruz, California and I'm happy. You, know? you got four kids. They have smartphones. You can't really wish for, <laughs> you're throwing masks up there. You have no complaints. No, no smart, no smartphones yet. But I mean, it, it's so funny because if you look at this, it's ridiculous, right? Like, 
I'm super happy. I'm plugging along. I'm in my house on the roof deck working. This is great. My girlfriend brings me a beer and I'm loving life. And then I look at my friend and he's got a jacuzzi on his roof. So suddenly my life sucks. Hey, I was listening um, to, again, going back to the interview you had with Dave Asprey. Uh, and I was really intrigued by the comment about how the process that you guys use at AOC is subtractive and not additive. So right. it made me it made me think about how you go about changing one's mindset in a 6-day span after a lifetime of bad habits. Yeah, the I'm glad you asked that. So we can talk about additive versus subtractive another time, I guess. But the the way that we change habits in that super short amount of time is that we don't change your habits in that super short amount of time. We give (laughs) you six months of prep before your program. Um, There's a lot of drills and exercises. There's pre-calls with the coach before the program. Then you come in for the live component, which is a week. It is immersive. You do live there with the coaches, with the students. You go through all of these drills and exercises. It's really immersive, but it's not the first time you've seen anything. And then Mm -hmm. after the program, we have an alumni network, a follow-up program that's pretty complete in terms of hammering all of these things home and giving you people to give you accountability, to give accountability to others, to teach others. So the idea that, that a lot of people go, I don't, I just don't believe you can do this in a week. No, you're right. You can't. You do it in a longer period of time. It's just that the live component of the program is only a week. Ah, uh, that makes sense. I yeah. thought you guys had like some magic wand or a chamber that you had people walk through well, and... Well, that that's, those are the options, right? It's like either you have some technology that nobody else has or you're full of crap. And the answer <laughs> is that... It's so, it's it's not somewhere in between. I almost said that. No, the answer is that uh, there's just a lot more that isn't the live component that goes into it. One of the cool things that you guys were talking about that that seems extremely valuable to me is the work that you guys are doing with the special forces community about, I guess, negotiation and relationship, and and it's totally applicable whether they're on active duty negotiating with the Taliban or at home trying to convince their six-year-old to go to bed. Totally. Same skill set in many ways. One of the things that I thought was really fascinating was uh, we had a bunch of Australian special air surface uh, service guys come in and they have this, they had this exercise where they had to like, they did this during training and it was sort of under the table spoken to me. So I'm not totally sure exactly how it's run, but they do something where some component of something is they have to convince a border guard to let them in the country. And I don't know why they did this, but I guess it's maybe an actual practical skill. And I, they were all like, we all blew it. And I'm like, why? That's such an, I've done that in real life. You know, like it's not hard um, to let to to do this. And they're just like, yeah, I mean, we have all these different skills, but the way they train us on these social dynamic stuff is really weak. And they came through the program. We had SEAL Team 6 guys come through the program and intelligence agents and, you know, those guys come through. And what I found was what a lot of these countries do is they screen for guys that have top aptitude in social dynamics. And then they train them in intelligence and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually they just go, eh, some people got it, some people don't. Because it is so hard to teach. So they just kind of let it go by the wayside and hope you never have to use it. And that's actually not a terrible strategy for most of these guys. The guys who do tend to get the most training are guys like Green Berets that have a lot of on-the-ground time with insurgents and local forces. But for the other people, they're like, look, if you're seeing somebody and it's not through the scope of a rifle, something has already gone wrong. So go into this other type of training. But they, it's really last resort, right? They just don't the, spend a lot of time on it. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I mean, 
what what they're learning here not only is going to help them at home, but it could potentially save their life out in the field when they're trying to literally uh, get across the border without getting shot. Yeah. And we have a lot of transitioning vets who are like, I'm really good at all these things, but I'm really not good at creating the relationships I need to get a job or, or to work my way up a corporate ladder because it's totally foreign. You're in the military. It's not how things work there. So I read this book called How Will You Measure Your Life? And that's the, the, uh, the origin of this second to last question here, which is how will you, Jordan, measure your life? Will it be the accolades? Will it be you know, the relationships that you leave behind? What will it be? The way that I will measure my life is that's not something I think about a lot, but I really, really want to put as much knowledge and information and practical stuff out there as I can. So I don't really think about, it's not kind of like once I achieve this, so it will be complete. It's just like, have I really left it all on the table or on the court as athletes say, right? And mm-hmm. that's kind of where I'm going with it. But I think the real way that I probably will is whether or not my kids are really great, productive members of society or whether they're crappy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and totally. and I, th- I think that might be kind of weird, but I've seen so many successful people raise little turds. And I'm like, how did you blow <laughs> the most important thing in your life? You know, you're super smart and successful and they're just focused on themselves. And I think it's just a huge mistake. Yeah. Cause the, the, well, part of the reason is because the parents weren't necessarily focused on them. Right. They were focused on, you know, being an attorney or a dentist or whatever they could, they didn't have the time. Yeah, and, uh, and I get that. It's a trap. I'm not like, yeah. shame on you. I'm just like, oh, that happened to you. That sucks. Yeah, no, totally. I think that that's incredibly valuable. How can our subscribers connect with you, interact with you, etc.? Well, I mean, you're listening to a podcast right now. Best thing you can do, in my opinion, is go and subscribe to The Art of Charm, listen to a few episodes, maybe start with the best of if you want to. Uh, but, you know, I love that. Tweet at me. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter or just email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. That's awesome. I really appreciate it. Any last words of wisdom for our listeners? I just think the legacy is greater than currency helps you make most decisions better than you normally would. So I'm just going to reiterate that and throw it out there. That's awesome. Well, we'll be sure to link to uh, all all of the thing, all of the linkable things that uh, that you mentioned and that we talked about in the show notes. And really appreciate your time and, and thanks for being a guest on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. And we'll let you head out to your uh, next call. Cool. Thanks so much, man. All right. Take care, Jordan. We cover a lot in our conversation and I will be sure to link to everything that is linkable in the show notes, but I wanted to recap a few key things, which we can break down into four words, authenticity, influence, focus, and awareness. Focus is a bit of a buzzword in the industry right now, but it's so important to have a filter. You have to have the ability to say no to good things so that you can say yes to great things and make good decisions that are going to have value in your life and in your your customer's life. Awareness. When it comes to being aware, you have to have your antenna up so that when opportunity strikes, you're ready to act and take that next step and that risk, even if you don't yet possess the actual skill set to do so. Because if you're passionate about something and there's an opportunity, you can go get the skill set and develop that. Authenticity. Authenticity is hard for a lot of people because it's not something that is often appreciated or valued in the workplace and even in relationships sometimes. Sometimes we're afraid to be vulnerable and real with people. And that's something that if you want to have a deep relationship with your spouse, with your significant other, with your your clients, 
and your your partners and your business relationships, you have to be vulnerable, be authentic by really getting to know and becoming crystal clear about who you are, what your key strengths are, and how you can create value in other people's lives. The last thing is influence. Be careful about who you let into your circle and who you let influence your mindset through the way that they talk to you or about you or around you. This is something that we all have to be very self-aware of so that we can protect our mindset. I really hope that you that you got a lot of value out of this episode today. Thank you again for listening. Please go to iTunes, download, rate, subscribe, review, etc. And of course, you can always go to www.theimpactentrepreneur.net and subscribe there for both our blog and the podcast. In the meantime, go make an impact.